Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And uh, what you're about to listen to is a sermon preached at our rooted retreat. It was the second sermon in our new series called All of Grace. And the whole point of the sermon series is just, just to show how our salvation um, is from A to Z, a, a work of God's grace. It's a gift for we are saved by grace. And so in the first sermon, we looked at the doctrine of election, which uh, simply put is that before creation, because of God's sovereign good pleasure, God chose to uh, chose some people to be saved. And this choosing was not based on anything in them. It was unconditional. And so that's, that's what happened in the past. And then God, in order to make their salvation possible, sent Jesus and the work of Jesus Christ uh, accomplished in his life and death to earn the salvation of his people is what the atonement was. That's what the cross is all about. But then in the present, how does God apply? How does he call people to himself? Or how do people get saved? And that is what this sermon is all about. It's called effectual calling. Effectual calling. It's that when God um, wants to save a sinner, he calls them. And this calling cannot be resisted. Um, There's two different types of calls. There's the general call. That's me getting up on a Wednesday night and preaching to all the students. Come to Jesus. He says, come all who are... uh, um, all who are, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The, the gospel call goes out to whosoever believes, to anyone. It's free grace for anyone. Um, but then John 6, 45 says that, uh, that no man can come to the Father unless he draws him. And so what is this drawing? And that's what calling is. The short um, definition of calling is that God summons people to himself through the human proclamation of the gospel so that we respond in saving faith. Because of our sin, we were dead. We were unwilling to come to Jesus. Um, our, our wills, our minds, and our affections have been corrupted by sin. We're dead in sin. And so just like Lazarus laying in the tomb three days, smelly, you know, he's dead. That's us spiritually until Jesus comes and says, Lazarus, come forth. And so there's a period of time, if you're a Christian, when Jesus said, so-and-so, come forth, come to me, and my sheep hear my voice, and they come, right? They listen, and all who come are given to Christ, and those who come will never be cast out. And so in this recording, why I'm doing this intro is because in Luke's sermon, uh, who pre- Luke Abendroth, who preached, uh, I didn't record the first point, which is what is effectual calling. And that is that God summons people to himself through the human proclamation of the gospel so that we respond in saving faith. Now, here's the rest of the sermon. Um, I hope that you enjoy and that it's encouraging to you as we focus in on the mercy and gracious love of our God. Of giving new life through the Bible, through the preaching of the Bible and, and the reading of the Bible. First, first Peter 1, 23 to 25. Just listen with me, but you can write it down. First Peter 1, verses 23 to 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Same thing, right? You've been born again. That's what we talk about. That's what you need. You need spiritual life. But how do you get this spiritual life? How do you become born again? Well, God uses something, and what does he say? It's this this being born again. It's not a perishable seed, but an imperishable. But it's through the living and abiding word of God. You have been born again through the word of God. 
that actually the word of God is not just information. It actually has a special power by the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's purposes. That's why the pulpit in churches is in the middle of the congregation. It's in the middle because it has the central place because it's where God promises that he will change people. But more specifically, and I know I already said this, but, but I'm going to keep reading in 1 Peter 1.23. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Right? There's, that, there's that, that, that truth again that the word of God is what changes us. But listen to this. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word, right? This word that, that Peter says... This word that causes you to be born again to a living hope. What is this word? It's the word of good news. It's the word of good news. The thing that will give eternal life. The thing that God has decided to use to give you a new, new heart. To cause spiritual life to be born into you. To spiritually raise you from the dead. To give you a, a heart of flesh and no longer a heart of stone. Is the preaching of not just the Bible in general, yes, but specifically the good news. When the good news is preached, hearts change. And this is so countercultural. This is so against everything that the world and every other religion would do, right? Because we, we always see change in the form of advice, right? Giving good advice. It's like, okay, you want to change? If your friend comes to you, even now, if your friend came to you and said, I really want to change my habits. I want to be more productive. I want to be less lazy. I want to be a better friend, whatever. What would you do? Well, you think, well, like step number one, like don't go on Instagram for six hours to start the day or like whatever. Like we will start giving, giving advice. We start giving commands. We start giving practical steps for people to follow, right? It's like, oh, someone needs to change. Well, let me simplify all these things and help them change. This is how the workplace works. This is how school works. This is how religions work. When you read like the Bhagavad Gita or like the Quran, it's all this stuff. It's like, do this and don't do that and sit in this position and wash your hands and do all these things. And that'll change you. People want to change. Everybody wants to change. Everybody knows they're a sinner and that they need to get better. But there's one method of change that we would never think of. We would never think that news would change you. That an announcement would change you. That a proclamation of something that has been done in history would actually change you. It's like you would never think like, well, you know, my friend needs advice about how to be a better friend. Let me tell him, you know, the story of D-Day. I mean, you might take out some principles from that and apply it. But no, we don't, we don't think this way. But this is how God has decided to work. He gives people new hearts through the good news. And what is that good news? What is that good news? It's, I know you all know this, but it's that 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus came down to this earth. The Lord Jesus, just like each and every one of you in this room, he at one point was 12 years old. And he grew up and he was 18 years old. He experienced all the adolescence that you've experienced. He experienced navigating through friendships with other teenagers. And teenagers weren't that different 2,000 years ago. He experienced a first job going to go and help his father uh, as, a, as a working with his hands, with wood or with, with, with concrete. 
Jesus came down to this earth and he lived from the outside a seemingly normal and small life. But this insignificant seeming man, this man who the Bible says was nobody to look at. He wouldn't have been, you know, the person that you would choose first to be on your, your uh, kickball team. <laughs> this person who seems so insignificant from the outside was on a mission of mercy for us. And not only that, but he was God himself. He who is involved in choosing us in election, like we talked about, actually came down to this earth to accomplish that mission. Because God can choose us, right? God can choose us and say, I love these people and I want to save them. But the problem is, we're sinners. We're dead in sin and God is a just and holy God. So even though he loves us and he wants to save us, he has wrath that has to be poured out on sin. Each and every one of us, for the things that we've done in our life, we deserve an eternity in hell. An eternity forever and ever in conscious torment. And yet Jesus came to save us from that on a mission and he would not be stopped. And he obeyed every part of the law. That was the most significant difference between us and him is he had no sin. He obeyed his parents perfectly. He loved his siblings perfectly. He perfectly navigated how to work hard in, at, at school or, or with his father uh, helping him at his job. He was perfect in every way that you fail. Jesus obeyed. He obeyed the law perfectly all the way up to his own death on the cross. And he went to his death on the cross specifically for those people that the father had chosen. He had names in mind. This is the good news. Think about this. When you, before you were even born, if you're trusting in Jesus, God had your name in mind. And the Lord Jesus had your name in mind as he was obeying in your place and even on the way to the cross as he was about to die. The Lord Jesus took names to the cross. He thought of you and his love for you and the Father's love for you as he suffered under the weight of sin. As he suffered an eternity of hell condensed into three hours. And he could only do that because he's God. But he could suffer in our place because he's man. And then he rose again from the dead. This is, this is the real good news. And he didn't stay in the grave. That when he died and said, it is finished, God said to that, God responded. It's like a conversation. Jesus died and says, it is finished. Their sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. And God said, amen. And how did God say amen? By raising him from the dead. God said, Jesus says, it is finished. God said, amen. The sacrifice was enough. The guilt has been paid for. The law was obeyed. It is finished. You are right, son. I'm raising you from the dead. This is good news. This is the good news that we're, we're told actually changes people. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That the way that God gives people new spiritual life in their souls, allows them to see their sin and to see their need for a savior is through the preaching of the good news. And this is not something that we could figure out on our, on our own, but it's revealed so clearly in scripture that God calls people, yes, he changes them, yes, in time, but he does it through something and it's through the word of God, specifically the good news found the word, the, word, the gospel. 
And that good news doesn't just give us a new life and then we have different experiences, each one of us. But we all respond in a certain way. When God raises people from the dead, he causes them to respond in a certain way. And what is that? Third question. What happens after we are called by God? What happens after we are called by God? We've heard this announcement like a herald comes. The battle's been won. It is finished. God says, amen, raise Jesus from the dead. We have a righteousness standing at the right hand of the Father right now as we speak. We're forgiven. We have this news announced to us, but we have to respond to that. And what happens after we are called by God? When God calls us and then works in our hearts to give us new life, what happens to us? Well, we could go down all different roads with this, but two specific things happen to us. When God gives us new life, two specific things happen to us. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. When God raises someone from the dead spiritually, he gives them repentance and faith. And maybe some of you are a little confused. Like, okay, this is like, this is confusing because we think when you believe, then God gives you new life, right? When you believe, then God gives you new life. But John chapter one, I'll just read it to you briefly. John chapter one, verses 12 through 13. You turn there if you want to write it down. Says this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. As many as believed in Jesus, he gave the right to become God's children. Even to those who believe in his name. Now verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many as received Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God. We all know that. We talked about that last night and tonight. That when we receive Jesus, God says, you can be my child. You're no longer my enemy. But then John says a comment about this. And he says that these people who believe in Jesus were born. Not they're born once they believe, but they were born. If you believe in Jesus, it's because God already gave you spiritual life. God already called you to be born again. God calls us, he changes us in time, and he changes through the gospel. And the way that we see that, the way that we respond is by repenting and believing. It's by recognizing that we're sinners and putting our trust in Jesus. Does that make sense? So we've always thought, okay, faith is what gives us a new heart. Faith makes us alive. But actually, God makes us alive and then gives us the gift of faith. Let me, let me explain this with one more analogy because I think this can be a, a hard thing to understand. But imagine if you had a lion, right? You have a, a pet lion for some reason or you're at the zoo and you give them a bowl. Or you give them two bowls, right? And you have this big experiment. You invite all these people and you, you give them two bowls and there's one big bowl of like fresh antelope meat, <laughs> right? It's just like fresh. They kill it in the other room of the zoo and they... Chopped it up and put it in this bowl. And then they have another big bowl of salad. Caesar salad. You got feta cheese on there, tomatoes. I don't really eat salads. I don't know what else is good in salads, but whatever. You got a big bowl of salad, big bowl of meat, right? And you're like, okay, guys, we're gonna, this is, this is going to be groundbreaking. We have a scientific experiment, 
and we are going to see what will this lion choose. We're not going to force him. We're not going to hold his head down and shove it into one of the bull or the other. We're going to just, we're going to let him out of it. We're going to open the gate. We're going to run, and we're going to see where does he go. What's he going to choose? Now, you guys are laughing. Why? Because it's ridiculous. Because it doesn't take, it's that you don't be a rocket scientist to realize which one is the lion going to choose. The meat, right? Because the lion's nature is to eat meat. He's a carnivore. So even though he's not technically forced to eat the meat, he technically, you could say, could the lion have gone over and chosen the salad? <laughs> yes, technically, the lion could. Nobody forced the lion. But the lion will only do what's in the lion's nature to do. And so we as dead and sinful people, if we're given the opportunity, if I say to a dead and sinful person, repent and believe in Jesus, there's good news for you. Your enemy can be called your friend. Are we able to respond to that? No, because we're dead because our sinful nature, what have I been saying? It hates God and it hates one another. By nature, we hate God. To the point that even if he offers us something, we just continue to rebel. God gives everybody on this earth blessing after blessing after blessing in this country. We have blessing after blessing after blessing. And does it cause people to turn to God? No, they just continue down their path of sin. And so we need something to happen to us. We need something in our nature to change for us to be able to choose God. For us to be able to believe in God. So God doesn't force us to do anything. We're all dead in sin. We're all unrighteous. We're all wicked and sinful. But for some people, for his elect, God chooses them and he then goes over and he gives them new life. He raises them from the dead. They're broken and he fixes them. And so now they want to honor God. What kind of creature would refuse an offer from the creator for forgiveness and love and joy and eternal life? Does that make sense? By nature, we cannot choose God. God has to come and give us new life first. And then God gives us the gifts of repentance and faith. That's what this verse means, that we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you believe in Jesus, it's because God gave you new life. And look back at your testimony if you're a Christian and think of all the different things and circumstances that God used in your life until you finally said, I believe the gospel. Those things are amazing, but at some point, God awakened you. He gave you a new heart so that it was never really you who were doing it. It was never really you who were figuring it out. It was God who was drawing you. No one comes to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. That God draws us, and he's a gentle father, so he doesn't drag us kicking and screaming against our will and force us to believe. But he just raises us from the dead. He gives us new spiritual life, and then we want to believe. We want to follow him. And we're, we're, we have a conversation with a friend that tells us about the gospel. We have another conversation with another person, and we read the Bible, and God draws us and then causes us to believe in the gospel. And because that's true, it's all of grace. Because even your repentance and faith, even you trusting in Jesus, even you, repentance means change your mind about your sin. Even when you, if you, when you have recognized that you are a sinner and that your only hope is to turn and trust in Jesus. That didn't come from you. God gave you that as a gift. 
Because it's all of grace. Because every step of the way, we need help. We're sinful. We're broken. And we need a rescuer. And that's exactly who our God is. He rescues sinners. And he does so. so this is amazing. He does so sometimes in such a sweet and gentle way that we think we figured it out on our own. But we know from scripture that it was God who was drawing us the whole time. We might not figure that out from our experience, but again, we go to the scriptures and we say, God was the one drawing us. Even JT read in Ephesians 2 that faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. But finally, my fourth question, how does this help us practically? How does this help us practically? This is a very practical doctrine. And, and first of all, I just want to encourage you guys. This is such an, a, a, an amazing topic um, a, or truth to understand for evangelism. This is an amazing truth to understand for evangelism because guess what? God is the one that saves people. And how does he do it? Somebody answer, what does God use? I said that God calls people, right? He changes them. He interrupts their life and gives them a new heart and spiritual life. And how does he do it? What does God use is the second point. Anybody know? What? Disciples. Disciples, yes, but what does God use? We hear something, and then we're able to believe. The gospel, right? We hear the good news, and that enables us to believe. And this is such good news because you don't have to save people. It's not dependent upon how amazing your strategy is, or how many verses you've memorized, or how many apologetics books you've read, or how many answers, you know, from... From answers in Genesis you've memorized, or how many facts about why evolution is wrong you know. Those things are all good. I'm not downplaying those things. Those are good. You should study those things. But it doesn't matter because God saves people through the preaching of the gospel. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's what you're doing. You're doing exactly what my dad would have those men do. You, when you share the gospel with an unbeliever, you're, it's like you're standing in front of a tombstone and you're preaching the gospel to a tombstone in a cemetery. You can't make them live. You can't do anything. All you can do is share the good news, the announcement that Jesus saves sinners and God raises people from the dead through that. This is one of the most practical doctrines that you can think of, especially with evangelism, because now the burden's not on you. If it's up to you, think about the responsibility of that. If I say something wrong, if I haven't memorized enough scripture, if I don't present that in just the right way, if I don't have enough dim lights and soft music playing behind my voice, I, they won't get saved. <laughs> well, that's, that's terrifying. And sometimes people who are not what we call Calvinistic, it's, it's kind of a weird phrase, but they're, you know, this is called Calvinism, that God chooses people and then he saves them. I, you know, it's just biblical, but people call it Calvinism. And the other side is called being Arminian. And Arminians, sometimes they'll say, how can you share the gospel if you were Calvinist? If you knew God chose people and then he's the one that saved them. And after knowing this truth, understanding this, I, I, would, I would ask, how could you share the gospel if you didn't believe this truth? How could you share the gospel if you thought it depended upon you? You'd be so stressed and freaked out and worried all the time that you might say something wrong, you probably wouldn't even be able to share the gospel. This is, this is so helpful for us in evangelism because all you're doing is you are going around to dead people, telling them the good news, and God has to raise them from the dead. 
That's why, that's why, you know, it says the Bible says Paul planted Apollos water and God gave, or I planted Apollos water and God gave the growth. God does the growth. God does the saving. It's all of grace. You're not even involved. You're just a messenger. And you get the privilege of doing this. This is the most important cause on the planet. Uh, um, Nathaniel and I were having a conversation up here, and we were talking about world politics and, you know, how scary everything is that's going on in the world. And then we were joking, but it's really true, that this camp that we are having right now in, where is it? Oregon, Illinois. Never heard of it. With junior high and high school students is more important than the meetings going on right now in the White House. This is more important than the meetings at the United Nations. This is more important than what's going on in the China Sea with Taiwan, Australia, sending their ships and all this stuff. This is the most important thing that could happen because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. For if it was, my servants would have been fighting. My kingdom is of another realm. Jesus is king, but he's king of, of another realm. And he's reigning in a way, in a different way. And he's expanding his reign, not in the way that man thinks of expanding reign. He's expanding his reign through the preaching of the gospel. When you have an awkward conversation with somebody at school and say, Oh yeah, well Jesus died for sins. And if you recognize you're a sinner and trust in Jesus and they make fun of you, that's the most important thing you could do with your life. More important than if you were a president and world leader and rescued the U.S. from national debt. This is encouraging because it doesn't depend on us and we get to participate in the greatest mission that's ever been commissioned on this earth. And it's a mission from the God of the universe. Your life can have importance and value because this is true. Because you can give your life over to God's mission of calling people through the preaching of the gospel. And not only is it encouraging for evangelism, but I think you guys already know this, but it's just encouraging for us to know, again, that it's all of grace. This is, a, this is just a comforting doctrine. And it's so helpful for us to go back, to sit and think back on your life. Think back on how God saved you, how God brought you to the point of salvation through all the conversations that you heard, through all the different things that you understood at different times in your life. And no, it wasn't you who figured it out. God gave you new life. The God of the universe who created you gave you new life. If you have turned from your sins and believed in Jesus, it's because God gave you new life. And if you didn't figure it out, if it wasn't dependent upon you to work out all these things and come up with all these calculations for why these other things weren't true, and finally I believe in Christianity, if, it's, if it wasn't you who did that, it can never be taken from you. This, can, this life can never be taken from you because you had nothing to do with it, because you were chosen before time, in spite of how sinful and wicked you are, and then God gave you a new heart like he raised Lazarus from the dead and then allowed you to have the gifts of repentance and faith. Every step of the way in our salvation is God giving us gift after gift after gift. It's all of grace. The Lord Jesus, yes, he died for our sins and then he, he calls us to new life. And he, he, he comes and lives inside us by the power of the Spirit and allows us to start loving God, loving our neighbor, participating in, in all the works that he has for us. So this doctrine is so practical. 
Because we can rest in the sovereignty of God in evangelism. We can know it doesn't depend on us and how prepared we are. And we can know if God's the one that saved me, if God's the one that's brought me to this point, I can never be lost. God will bring me home. God will bring me all the way. Because those whom he predestined, right, he elected that he chose, he also called. He also changed. He also came into their life in time. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We're all going to be glorified one day together with Jesus Christ, all of us who are Christians. And again, there, I know there are, are, are some of you here tonight who are not Christians. And yet again, the call for you is not to, to wonder and to try to figure out the exact pinpoint moment when God has called me or not. If, you're, if, you're, if you are a Christian, that's not the call, not to try to figure it out that time. And if you're not a Christian, the, the, the idea is not to wait around for God to change your heart. That would be a total misunderstanding of this sermon. The point of the sermon is not, well, God has to change people and raise them from the dead, so I'm just going to wait. No, we are called, and all of us, in a general way, God offers to you salvation. You can have new life. You can know you have new life if you repent and believe. If you repent, again, I said it, it means change your mind. You change your mind about your sin. You recognize, I am a spiritually bankrupt. I owe God my life. I deserve to go to hell. And then come to him in faith and trust in what Jesus has done. That when Jesus said, it is finished, you say, amen. I believe it is finished. I'm not going to try to contribute anything else. I'm just going to trust in what Jesus has done. The number one way that the Bible describes saving faith in the New Testament is receiving. It's a free gift. It's offered unto you. You can know you have new life if you receive the gift. It's just, it's like, okay, here, take the gift. That's it. That's what saving faith is like. I just take the gift. Receive. That's the number one way that saving faith is described in the New Testament. We read an example of that in John. We'll see in the Old Testament, it's, it's leaning on God. It's, I'm not, I'm not going to stand on my own two feet before God and rely on myself. I'm going to lean on what God has done. Lean on God's promises in Christ. Put my trust outside of me on something that, that I didn't do and had anything to do with for my salvation. Bible also talks about rolling in the Psalms. You roll onto God. It's like you, I always imagine for some reason like a dock and you roll onto like an inner tube and the inner tube is supporting you and you're not, you're not being supported by swimming or by anything in, in you or in your body. You're being supported by this thing that's floating on top of the water. All of these, these ideas of faith have, have something in common that they find all of their confidence in the object. Or in our case, in the person of Jesus Christ. Recognize that you're a sinner. If you're not a Christian. Admit you're a sinner. God is calling you in a general sense. And maybe he's working in your heart right now. And recognize you deserve judgment. But God offers forgiveness in what Jesus has done on the cross. Let's pray.